Hello, and welcome back to Sunday Sermons, the official podcast of FMBC Houston. I'm Pastor Andrew Johnson, the senior pastor at FMBC Houston. We're so glad that you chose to download and listen to this episode. If you're ever in the Houston area, join us for Sunday service at 11 a.m. at 623 Crest. Father, help us to see that everything in our life may be a trust-building exercise. Father, help us to see that everything in our life may be a trust-building exercise. That what was lost in the Garden of Eden has been restored and renewed in Christ alone, and you're bringing the bride back into union with the bridegroom. And I can look back over my story and I can say how I've proved you over and over and over again. And yet even today, there's a fresh yes in my heart to say, Lord, I want grace. I want the gift to be able to trust you more than I do right now. Sometimes we wish that that trust was built in the boat, but that trust is built on the waves, Lord out on the water, where my strength, where my my wisdom, they're of no use, and I have to trust you. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you. How I proved you o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust you more. We love you, Jesus, because you first loved us. And I thank you that that love is ours. We possess it. And yet that love is growing. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We can skip the bumper video today. I just want us to go right into the message. You may be seated. I, uh, I remember freshman year, my first period class was Spanish. And it was a weird thing because uh, there was like four of us, four or five of us in, in the classroom. So I don't know what high school you went to. Our high school was like 400 people total, something like that. And uh, we had like, I think there was five of us in this class. And so it was me, my friend Jonathan Longoria, Melissa Rivera, uh, Vanessa Sales, and then uh, Sabrina Pearson. I think that's what it was. Don't quote me, but, and y'all don't care. (laughs) Those names may not mean much to you. Um, One Monday morning, we showed up to class And, you know, when there's only five of you in the class, when someone's absent, you kind of feel it, you know. Um, Vanessa didn't come to school that day. What we found out later is that she didn't come to school because she was no longer with us. That Saturday night after a party on the way home, they were in a traffic accident. And... uh, Man, the funeral was wild. I had never been to something like that. The whole town, and then really the county, like people came from across wide, 
wide uh, distance just to come to this uh, funeral service for Vanessa. Vanessa was um, a cheerleader. She was a track star. She was a volleyball star. Sierra, do you remember? I mean, she just, and she had a smile that would, you know, brighten up the room. Just a beautiful, beautiful person. And I do know she was a believer and uh, look forward to seeing her one day. And, um, that great reunion. It was weird, not just how that affected me, but how it affected that little classroom that I was a part of because we felt her absence, you know. And it's so small and trite compared to, I'm sure, what it felt like in her home uh, for her mother, for her father, for her family. The funeral service I mentioned because everybody came. And this loss that was felt by our little classroom, that first period Spanish class, was also felt by the whole city, by the whole county. And that they couldn't, there wasn't a church big enough in our little town for it, so they had to pack up the, uh, the uh, I forget what it's called, the, the civic center. And it was, it was madness, man, just shrieking and crying and just a deep loss that affected the entire community. As we turn to the book of Acts in chapter 8, there is a deep loss, and we can look at loss from an individual standpoint. And if you've been living for any length of time, you've experienced loss, like I'm talking about, in some form or fashion. The church is now facing one of the greatest challenges and trials really after its inception, after its birth. If you look at the beginning portions of Scripture in the book of Acts, chapter 1, 2, 3, as it's moving along, the church just seems to be growing in glory and, 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 and uh, fruit and all these beautiful things. Lives are being changed and it keeps growing and growing and, and they face some adversity and they come through that on the other side. And, and then Stephen dies. And it'd be real easy to just move right past that because you and I don't really have a personal relationship with Stephen, but they did. Like they knew him intimately. And as we pick up the story, um, there's just like a little three or four verses we're going to park it on because it just kind of points to the weight of loss and the weight of suffering. And then it moves right ahead in a couple of verses. But the thing, as you know and I know, a funeral service only takes an hour, maybe half an hour. The whole day is over. And, and, and in time, that loss can be experienced in some ways quickly, and you can try to move on. But loss takes a lot longer to process, to deal with. Part of loss that will be with the church forever. And we, we can rush straight to the good news. We know Stephen is with the Lord. We know in the power of the resurrection. And so we can just assume that the church was just happy-go-lucky. But I'll venture to guess because of the great weight of suffering and loss that they are facing, um, that it may not have been that easy. And so this morning, I want to talk to you from the theme of what can be gained from loss. And uh, if you will stand with me in honor of reading God's Word, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen has been stoned. We pick it up in verse uh, 1 of chapter 8. That's Acts 8.1. 
Acts 8, 1, and we'll read through verse 4. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house by house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains eternal. You may be seated. Y'all, there's a few things that happen in our lives. And life is filled with much adversity and challenge. But there's a couple of storms that you're going to walk through that will stick with you for the entirety of your life. There are a few things that you can point to in your life story as these defining moments. You can look to your life before that loss and to your life after that loss. And the truth is, Life may go on, but it will never quite be the same. Now, this could be the death of a loved one, the literal death of a a person like Stephen. Stephen, who was full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, full of grace, and full of power. Stephen, who had no uh, uh, position or title, but his impact was beyond some title. His impact was by the life that he lived. He was so full of life. He was championed as this a mascot, this hero, this, this one who stood toe-to-toe with the religious systems and held his ground. Not a rude or mean or, 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 or self-righteous person, but humble and gentle and kind. Stephen was someone who was pure, and now he's dead. And we, we, we in the church don't really know how to mourn today like they used to mourn back then. Um, there was this Jewish concept, this, this sitting shiva, where when someone was going through pain, you didn't try to rush them through it like a drive through line and say, ooh, that hurts, but let's, let's kind of bury that. No, no, they would sit and witness, bear witness to the loss that they had experienced. And friends, I, I want us to look at, it's not just the, the death of Stephen, but the death of Stephen kicks off, it catalyzes this widespread movement of persecution. Now, this persecution is not like, you know, the news is talking bad about Christians. It's talking about women and men and children being snatched out of their homes and dragged into court. It's talking about people being violently persecuted, people being attacked and losing um, so much. And so, as we walk through this passage, I think it's not the most cheery passage, but there's power in loss. And really, the gospel of Jesus Christ is one of the most unique faiths in all of human history because we have a true and living faith that does not deny loss, does not forget loss, but truly through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we have an answer for the pain of loss. 
Somebody's with me today. Amen? First of all, as we walk through this passage, I want us to really witness the death. It's the strangest thing about a funeral. I've done a lot of them. I still can't get that first one out of my mind. I mean, I've been to family members' funerals, but there was something just strange and odd about this classmate of mine and seeing her um, in that coffin. And there's something that, although it is painful and sometimes gruesome, the witness of death has to be a part of our processing. Um, So I want us to talk about the call of the believer. Despite the loss of Stephen and now the great other losses that we find, um, that we can witness death. And if we witness death, we also must witness and partake in burial. And if we witness and partake in burial, um, we can witness resurrection. And that is the great hope for all believers. Amen? So let's look and witness the death that has occurred. So we know that they've lost Stephen, but let's look a little bit more at all that they lost. Verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. This tragedy that has happened is not just a car accident. It is not a random event. It is a purposeful intentional malevolence on the part of Saul and people like Saul who hate the church. They have their reasons, they have religious reasons, but the first time that evil or malevolence touches you in your life, you don't forget that. That is a loss unlike others. So as we witness the depth of their pain, the first loss is really a loss of safety. Christians used to say Jesus is Messiah, and they could go straight to temple. They could go into the middle of other Jews and and teach about Jesus. This Yeshua of Nazareth is the Messiah we've been waiting for. Not anymore. When the persecution arises, this is going to be the great split where no longer are Faithful Jews who believe Jesus is Messiah being able to worship with other Jews who have yet to receive him as the Lord. A great persecution. So the first thing that they lose is a loss of safety. It's open season on Christians. They are being persecuted, which means the Greek word here is is that they are literally being pursued or chased after. They're being hunted. Have you ever felt in danger in your life? It's a a strange feeling. The loss of safety is this feeling uh, that something malicious or evil or ill intent is after you and you are unable to defend yourself. Vulnerable, defenseless, and and it goes on to say men weren't the only targets, even women. That, that, That this evil that was hunting the church had no limits. That men, women, and even we could say children were not beyond the grasp of the attack of the enemy. Now that was true for them, but as we witness death today, I must remind you that you and I live in a hostile environment. And I may not be the same level of hostility that they are facing, but around the globe it is certainly still true that there is a loss of safety for, in a sense, for those who commit their lives to Christ. A great persecution. 
not only did they have a loss of safety, it goes on to say that they were all scattered. Can you say scattered? Now, that's not that big of a deal for us because we already live scattered. We, we, we don't know community like they knew community. We live very isolated, like, you know, pull up in the driveway, don't look to the left or the right in case that other neighbor wants to talk. I'm just trying to get in my house. We don't connect like we used to, right? Their depth of, I, oh, I'm the only one. Okay, okay. You're, like, not me. You're the talker. That's okay. That's okay. Um, we are so isolated in our communities, but their community was tighter than just people that lived together, tighter than people that were uh, church members together. Like, oh, I go to church with so-and-so. They didn't go to church once a week and spend an hour across the room from a stranger and call that the depth of their relationship. Their view of community was so much deeper. They lived together. They broke bread daily. They, they laughed. They cried. They celebrated. They mourned. They lived life together. And suddenly the Bible says they were all scattered. The good old days are over. I'm sure you may not know this depth of Jewish community, but you've had some good old days, right? With friends or family, some type of tight-knit. Maybe you served in the military. Maybe you're part of, I don't know, a close group in college or something. But have you ever had some really tight bonds that formed that you're like, man, you don't realize them till they're gone, but these were the good old days <laughs> where there was friends there was laughs shared, there was adventures and, and trouble you might have got into, you know, God forbid, but, but y'all were so tight and close. And then suddenly there's not just a loss of safety from persecution, in the scattering, they're losing family. And those other believers may not be dead, but they're not close like they used to be. Have you ever felt that? The loss goes deeper because not only are they scattered, but they're not, they're not in Jerusalem anymore. They had community closer and sweeter than any that we could imagine. They had love, peace, unity. This family, it shattered. They had to leave town. New home, new house, new culture, strangers everywhere, nothing is familiar. So not only is there a loss of safety, but there's a loss of community and there's a loss of home. It's important, y'all. It's like, come on, man. When are we going to get to the good news? I mean, you, you really, the problem is we rush to get to the solution to our problem and we don't even under the, understand the depth of loss. There was a loss of safety, a loss of community and home. Oh, just to add to it, it said everybody got kicked out except for the apostles. Now, the apostles were the leaders of this movement. They had been handed the doctrines of Christ himself, and they were really spiritual fathers to this community. And suddenly, I am displaced from my church family. I'm displaced from my hometown. I don't feel safe because there's a target on my back. Oh, and by the way, the, the, those who I used to look up to and trust as leaders in my life are nowhere to be found because everybody left, but the apostles couldn't go with them. So you can imagine new believers, eager, maybe slightly immature, relying on these strong fathers who had taught them and discipled them, men they had admired and trusted and counted on, and now they're gone. Who do you take your questions to when you're used to taking your questions to someone that you can't take them to anymore? Their teachers are gone. Who do you look up to? 
when your moral examples have fallen away, examples have fallen away who do you take your problems to when your counselors, your prayer partners, your friends are gone? Last but not least, it says, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Can y'all say great? Lamentation. Look, it's just a couple of verses, but this was a big deal for them, and it would forever mark the transformation of the church. There would never be the good old days of the Jerusalem uh, call it the revival of Jerusalem. You're, you know, whatever it was. Uh, there was a loss of life. And when Stephen was buried, there was great lamentation over him. Friends, I want to move on to my next point, but I just want to say this. In our desire to be faithful to God, and our desire to get straight to the good part of the story, which is the power of resurrection, don't worry, we're going to get there. Sometimes we feel that we must gloss over the sting and the pain of loss. And it's actually, if you don't, if you don't sit in the weight of their loss, you'll never be able to stand and celebrate the resurrection. Um. And so this, this morning as we witness their loss, I, I want us to go into this next concept of witnessing burial. Uh, Ephesians is interesting because Ephesians says that the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, even his ascension, is not just a story that we admire, but it's a reality that we participate. And Ephesians, it says over and over and over again, in him, in him, in him. We were crucified in Christ. We're buried in Christ. We have been hidden in Christ. We, if, we, if then we have been raised with him, then let us keep our mind on things that, which are above. We have been raised with him and seated in heavenly places in Christ. There's this great mystic reality that in Christ we move and we breathe and we have our being. The story of the gospel is not just to the glory of God in the life of Jesus, but it's an invitation for you and I in our faith journey to, 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 to unite with the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Do you understand this? And so as we participate in it, uh, it's easy to say, man, I just can't wait for that great getting up day where we're all going to experience the resurrection. But, but there's actually so much more here and now that we participate in. The painful part of the first thing is that we participate in witnessing death. And that's not fun or easy, but unless a grain of wheat dies, it remains alone. But if a grain of wheat dies and is buried, it will bear much fruit. And the part of the life of the believer is the putting to death of the old self. And anyone who's struggled through life says yes and amen. That, that's a part of it. The faithful journey of, of death. But there's something that happens between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And it's called burial. Um, in the story of Jesus, it's very obvious. He spent three days in the tomb. But it was more than just that because we find that he was not just bodily laying in the tomb, but there was this great um, spiritual experience where Christ was not only bodily there, but he descended to the depths of hell that he claimed the keys to hell and he set the captives free and that when he burst forth from the tomb that there was this great uh, rendering of all those who had been faithful. There was a, a power of resurrection that was more than just a body 
sitting in a tomb. And so I just want you to know, as we talk about loss this morning, the loss of that church and the loss of this church, there's something that happens in the darkness while we're waiting for the power of resurrection to shine upon us. We not only have to witness death, but we must witness and experience burial. James says this, count it all joy. We talked about that this morning, right? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be found perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There's a process that happens when we are touched by loss before we come to the full acceptance and joy and celebration of resurrection where we are struggling with what we have gone through. And in that process, in that darkness of trying to understand why bad things happen to good people and why there is the problem of suffering and evil and loss, in the midst of that trial, God is doing work in us. I want to talk to you about things that we can learn in the midst of loss. Now, can I give you a disclaimer? This is not something I would tell someone who just experienced loss. It's not helpful to come with your list of answers to questions people don't necessarily need answered right now. So if you feel like you're going through loss right now, please don't feel like you need to come and you know, swallow this bitter pill. Um, what's amazing about the Lord is that he reveals himself and his truth to us in such a way that we can understand it when the time is right. Amen? We talked about it this morning as we looked at the story of Job and the story of his sufferings. Sometimes, sometimes we think we want answers to questions when really we just need to be held. And you can have the best answers to the questions that are theologically just accurate and they do nothing for the depth of pain you're facing in your soul. Amen? Oh, you've never been helped before by helpful Christians when you didn't really need that, <laughs> didn't really need that advice at that moment in time. Um, there is a process. And here's some things that we can learn in the midst of loss. First of all, why commit a whole Sunday to this? Because loss is real. And listen to this. It affects us more than we realize. Loss is real. And it affects us more than we realize. It's not just Stephen dying outside the gates of the city. Forever the life of the church will be different. Persecution is coming and the whole uh, expression of faith will no longer be in a temple, but will now go from house church to house church. The scattering of the seed will eventually produce good results. But right now we have to face that loss is real and it affects us more than we realize. The gift of God and the good news does not prevent loss. That was a tough pill for me to swallow. I got to a certain point in my life where I'm like, hey, I faced some challenges earlier on, but now me and God are so tight and we're good. And so life will be like slightly easier, right? Have you ever been naive like me? Like, God, I know, I know that I know that I know that we are like this, man, like you and me. We, we, you love me and I love you. And, and, the, and happily ever after is the way our story should go. And, and the love of God does not prevent loss from touching your life. And here's the good news, friend. Just because loss touches your life doesn't mean that God loves you less. In fact, 
God so loved Jesus that their union existed before the foundations of the earth and he allowed his only begotten son to be touched by loss, to be touched by suffering, to be touched by betrayal. And I've sat in the dark night of the soul and said, Lord, why? I thought you loved me. And the answer I can't say was audible, but it was so clear. He said, I love my son too. The love of the Father was never diminished for the Son, and yet He allowed the Son to suffer what He suffered, and yet somehow love can stand strong in the midst. Um, this mystic from the earlier life of the church, uh, St. John of the Cross, talked about this as the dark night of the soul. He believed in his monastic uh, prayer and meditation that some of the greatest work that God does in our life it's not in the good times, but actually in the dark night of the soul. That there is a period and a season where we can't seem to sense God or see God, but He's still there. So loss is real and it affects us more than we realize. The next thing I'll say is that you have to take time to mourn and it will take longer than you need. Um, have you ever been injured, like pulled a hamstring or twisted an ankle, uh, something that's kind of like hindering you? Have you ever had to pick up one of those canes and suddenly you're like, when am I going to not need this thing anymore? And, and we always think that we're going to heal faster than we're actually going to heal, right? We do not have in this day and age as a society, we do not have the attention span or the capability of waiting to actually let things heal in and of their own time. And then you can do something foolish like I've often done, which is go try to use the thing that needs healing when it's not ready yet, and you just broke it even worse. Take time to mourn and just believe it's going to take more time than you think. Amen? You get to a certain point where you're like, I'm having good days. I'm having good weeks. And then sometimes the pain will come back, and you don't need to rush through that, and you can't rush God through that. The, the amazing thing is God is God alone. God is God, and you are not, and you cannot rush him to get you to a place where he's not in a rush to get you. Verse 3 says this. Uh, verse 4, I'm sorry. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Friends, the scattered ones kept on testifying. You know what I love about that? As you're going through your process, when you're going through the dark night of the soul and you're dealing with loss, keep on preaching the gospel, man. Keep preaching the gospel. If you can preach it to others, praise God. Definitely make sure you keep preaching it to yourself. For God so loved the cosmos that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. Lord, life is dark. Life goes through painful valleys, but God so loved. Remind your soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You must get to a place to where you continually preach the gospel even when you don't feel like it. Keep on preaching the gospel. Keep the gospel, preach the gospel to others. Preach the gospel to yourself. I remember like in the early 2000s, they started um, 
they started selling these things called a clutch cross. And some of the grandmas that, that, that lived at Lifeway for a long time, have you, did y'all get a clutch cross? The clutch cross was like this clay cross that the, um, the artist would like squeeze when it was wet. And then when it dried, it kind of looked like a funky little cross, but what's cool about it, you could put it in your hands and you could clutch it, right? And it was this, I didn't ever get one, but when I went to Lifeway, I'd squeeze it. And I'm like, that's cool, you know? Also a sharper image, I always sit in the massage chair. So it was that type of situation. Christians have historically always clutched the cross of our Christ because we have a God who is not unable, that is not unable to sympathize with our suffering, but one who in every way was tempted and tried as we are, but was yet without sin. Our hero did not just come in might, but our hero tasted weakness our hero did not only experience celebratory joy but, joy, but our God went to the cross. And Jesus commands for all those who follow him, take up your cross daily and follow me. Whenever everything, uh, th- this is why we clutch the cross. Uh, St. John of the Cross said this, whenever anything is disagreeable or displeasing, listen to this. Whenever anything is disagreeable or displeasing, when something painful happens to you, remember Christ crucified and be silent in it. Friends, God does some of his best work in the dark. It's just like those seeds that are planted. There's a long time when you can't see what's happening. And even when something's growing on top, there's always something growing deeper in the root system. God does his best work in the dark. When you can't see what he's doing, rest assured he's doing something. In the dark night of the soul, bright flows the river of God. Never give up prayer. Should you find it dry and difficult, persevere in it for this very reason. God often desires to see what love your soul has, and love is not tried by ease and and satisfaction. Chemo, radiation, surgery are dangerous tools of destruction that doctors use for healing. Pain and suffering have an awful effect on the soul, but in the hands of the great physician, these two can be used to heal and to grow. One last thing about this process. Ultimately, in the end, suffering can either draw you closer to God or it can be a reason for you to grow distant from Him. Lament wisely and do not lose union. The last thing I'll say is that as we talk about death and burial, we must witness resurrection. The church lost their safety. No longer were they safe, but now they were being hunted but they found resurrected safety. There is now a confident that, confidence that real dangers can be present, yet the Lord is with us and we will overcome. It's one thing to be brave when there's nothing to be afraid of. It's another thing for there to be a resurrected safety to say, I can walk through the fires of hell and if God is with me, who can be against me? And you can't say that till you've walked through the fires of hell and found that he is with us.
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me, even in the presence of my enemies. Resurrected safety is not the safety of a blind fool that does not see danger. Resurrected safety is knowing that wherever he leads me, I am safest in his hand. If we believed that, we'd be doing ministry a lot differently. Churches would be planted in different locations. Ministry would not be avoided, but would be pursued that seems to be the most risky. Because if, if God is for you, who can be against you? And playing it safe might be the dangerous thing for the church today. Resurrected safety. They were about to be sent out to preach the gospel in dangerous places. And yet now there was a confidence to know that if he brought us through that, he can bring us through this. There is a resurrected community and home because the kingdom is family and the kingdom is home. You know what's amazing about the people of God? They reach farther than we realize and deeper than our hometown or our social circle or the culture that we grew up in. You can find family in the body of Christ wherever you look to the body of Christ. Resurrected leadership, heroes and fathers. When you lose heroes, when you lose fathers, the fatherhood of God becomes realer to you than it ever was before. Scripture says that he'll be a mother to the motherless and a father to the fatherless. Last but not least, the resurrection of all those who die is literally promised, and it used to be the greatest hope of the church, the resurrection of life. One day there is promised a great reunion and every life that has been touched by death must be returned. And the King of glory will lead that procession and every single person who has died in the Lord is already more alive than we can imagine and we will all be united in that great reunion. So as we look at the loss of the church, we witness death and burial. We must witness resurrection and I'll just... Close with this last verse. My favorite verse in the whole Bible. Philippians 3.10. Oh, that I may know him. Paul said that. <laughs> After all that he knew about him, he still said, oh, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and may share even in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul said, I, oh yeah, I know him, but there's some depth of knowledge of him that I can't taste until I taste death. And I taste suffering that I might taste resurrection. Friend, if you're in the dark night of the soul, you are not alone. If you've been touched by loss, know that our Lord and Savior is a suffering servant and he is near to the brokenhearted. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that this message, whatever you're speaking to people, Lord, that it will last. And when there comes a time where you might seem distant to them, that they'll remind, be reminded that you are near to them. Lord, as we think about death, and loss. I pray we don't wait till the next funeral to think about it. 
I mean, that's helpful and it's ministering to our souls. But may we take comfort that in the life before and the life after loss, that there is a purpose in every pain. That you can draw us closer and that when we come through on the other side, we can have resurrected hope, Lord. Resurrected safety. Resurrected family. Resurrected home. It will take on deeper meaning. Resurrected life. Resurrected fatherhood. Lord, I speak over people who are still suffering from dead situations, maybe dead marriages, maybe seemingly prodigal sons that may not be dead, but might as well be. People who've lost relationships, and it seems like there's no way this relationship could ever, ever, ever be restored. Oh, that I may know him and the power of resurrection. There's power in your resurrection, Lord. You called Lazarus out of the tomb and you still call dead things to life. Thank you that you are a friend that sticks closer than a brother and that when we are sitting in the midst of loss and suffering, you will sit with us and you'll sit with us in the darkness and you'll sit with us in the suffering And trouble may last for the night, but joy's coming in the morning. And our souls will hope in the power of resurrection. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you'd like to be notified for future episodes, go ahead and click that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review in your podcast app. Remember, if you're ever in the Houston area, we'd love to have you to come to Sunday service at 11 a.m. at 623 Press.